Hi everyone, I'm Liam, and this is Words with Women. Welcome to another episode of Words with Women. Our guest for today is Tina Cantrell, an accomplished coach who brings over two decades of experience working in Fortune 500s, for the most part as a high-level executive. Tina has now moved on from the corporate world to the world of executive leadership coaching. She holds an MBA, a professional coach certification, and is a master NLP practitioner. This year, Tina has launched a young women's scholarship program called the Puissance Project to help young women professionals. In today's episode, Tina will share with us her experience as an executive coach, and we will talk about what is the imposter syndrome, how it develops, and how we can overcome it. Join us for words of advice, words of wisdom on your bi-weekly podcast, Words with Women. Welcome back to Words with Women. For today's episode, we're joined by Tina Cantrell. So welcome back, Tina, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And we're also joined by Iman. Welcome back, Iman. Thank you. I'm excited to be back. For today's episode, we'll be talking about the imposter syndrome. And before we start, we would love to know about your career, Tina. So how did you become an executive coach? So I didn't ever intend to be an executive coach. I kind of landed here through my own uh, very uh, positive experiences and also not so positive experiences. So I spent 23 years working in the pharmaceutical industry. And for the majority of that time, had a fantastic career. Absolutely loved it. Worked for amazing people and fantastic companies and just really loved the work. And then I had one bad experience. And that bad experience, it was incredibly toxic. The culture of this particular organization was extremely toxic. And um, I had been working at that point at the executive level for about 13 years. And um, I just went into this organization expecting what I'd experienced for the previous 22 years. And it's not what happened. And in the end, I just realized that the culture of this organization was not one where I could thrive or flourish. And actually, nobody could because people were leaving in droves. And I left the organization. Mm-hmm. And then I had um, had some time to think, you know, what am I going to do from here? And I decided that's when I decided that, that there's a better way. There's no need for an organization to have this kind of culture and this toxic leadership. And maybe I can help other people and other leaders and other organizations to lead their companies in, in a different way. And so that was my route into executive coaching. And at first, I actually started coaching people through stress and burnout, which is what I was experiencing at the time. And uh, and then very rapidly, I realized that, hang on a minute, I'm dealing with the wrong end of the problem here. I need to deal at the other end because there's no reason for people ever to get here. So why don't I go to the other end and help leaders to be positive leaders and create a positive culture inside their organizations so that nobody actually ever gets to burnout and suffers from stress because people perform better when they're happy and in a, a positive environment. So that's how I ended up doing what I do now. So I work at the other end. So I help leaders to create very positive, efficient and productive environments for their people. And I help organizations to develop positive culture. Yeah, definitely culture is something very crucial in every organization. And just as like when I go to internships and I do mine and I can see like the huge difference between each one and how it impacts and reflects on my own experience as well. And since we know that a lot of people suffer from the imposter syndrome and it's something that we always talked about. So how do you think if the imposter syndrome develops? So I think there are three ways that imposter, imposter syndrome develops. I think one is definitely upbringing. 
I think number two is behavioral traits. And number three is your, your work experiences or leadership. So the first one is a lot about how our parents talk to us. And what is it that's important or valuable to your parents? And I, I know my parents were like this. I don't know if your parents were, but achievement was everything. And I know they were doing their best. They were absolutely doing their best. They were great parents and are great parents, but it was achievement was everything. And I was very heavily rewarded for achievement. What I wasn't rewarded for was the journey to get there. And so when you go through life believing that achievement is everything, you hesitate when you believe that you can't achieve or you might not achieve. And then you see people around you achieving big things and you think, my God, I can never do that. So you never get started. And that's how imposter syndrome starts to develop through our upbringing. It's the messages that we hear when we're kids and the things that our parents tell us and this intense focus on winning and achieving and not so much on the the journey to get there can really start to cause imposter syndrome in, in later life. So I think that's that's the upbringing. There's also this unfortunate thing, and it, it's still very prevalent, is that girls and boys just aren't raised the same. They're still not. I hear it in the grocery store. I hear it in the gym. I hear it on the street. I hear it at the park. The little girls, don't get dirty. Oh, look, you just got your dress dirty. Whereas boys, you know, they get dirty and they get their hair ruffled and it's cute. And girls are told not to be bossy. Boys are expected to be strong and, and lead. And so the way that we treat our kids, we really have to be aware of it. I have a son and I'm very aware that I allow him to express his emotions and don't discourage him from doing that. But at the same time, encourage the behaviors I want him to, to exhibit in later life. So there's a real gender difference and it's still there, even though we think it isn't. It is because I hear it every day. So that's another thing that we need to be acutely aware of. Um, from a, a behavioral traits perspective, people that tend to grow up being anxious or depressed or perfectionist, they have a, a tendency towards perfectionism, also tend to have imposter syndrome. So they're, at least they're more prone to it. So I can't say that everybody who's anxious or depressed or tends towards perfectionism has imposter syndrome, but everybody I've spoken with that has imposter syndrome definitely has a tendency towards anxiety and perfectionism. Yeah. So there is a, a definite behavior trait there that just creates this, if it's not perfect, it's not good enough. And I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. And will it ever be good enough? Probably not. And I'll never be as good as them. And there's a lot of comparison starts from that kind of thinking. So definitely behavior traits. And the last one is is leadership. And this is a big one. When we get into an organization and we start work, what do we focus on? We don't focus on what we're good at and exploiting strengths. We focus on what we're not good at and improving it. So right from the time that we start work, our performance reviews focus on where are your areas for development? For development, What are you not good at? Where are your weaknesses? And we're constantly told to try and improve our weaknesses. So what do we focus on? We focus on our weaknesses. What we end up doing is we forget to use our strengths and sometimes we actually forget what our strengths are altogether. And so we focus on our weaknesses. When we focus on our weaknesses, we don't feel strong and confident. And when we don't feel strong and confident, we feel like an imposter. So those messages we get in organizations, even in school, we focus on the things that we're not good at and the need to improve them. And we're constantly trying to fix ourselves. Whereas really, if we just focused on what we're good at and delegated our weaknesses, this imposter syndrome thing would never happen. And companies and organizations would really benefit from the strengths that people have rather than trying to fix people all the time. It's like putting the spot on like your strength and like what you're good at so you can get better at it. And I think I, I totally see that as well. Like when you just tell someone this is what you're not good at, it creeps in, in your head a little bit and that's the only thing you can see. And it somewhat shadows all the good that you do as well. 
Absolutely. It does. It, it, it eats into you and all you then, the way you focus, that's where your energy goes, right? Yeah. So what you put your, um, your attention on, your intention turns to. So if all you're focused on is your weaknesses, which are much harder to, to change than making a strength stronger, mm-hmm. you focus on the things you're not good at. So all those things you are good at, you kind of forget about them. And then you see all these other people around you who seem to be doing really well and better than you. And you think, my God, you know, I'll never be that good. Well, that's because you're focused in the wrong place. You're focused on your weaknesses. Stop trying to fix yourself and focus on your strengths. And it makes a dramatic difference in the way that you think and the way that you feel. I think it also stems from like our need to be perfect at everything as if everything that we do has to be perfect with no faults, no weaknesses. But that is definitely not something realistic or achievable because we all have our faults or weaknesses or things that we're not the best at yeah I think being in a business school where everything is very competitive and you're always looking at so many people around you that are achieving so many things because that's kind of how business is so it's always sometimes hard to stop comparing yourself to all these different people because I think everyone is different and they all have like you said these different strengths that we can focus on and instead of comparing yourself it's much better to just focus on your strengths and improve those um, and use those to to be successful or what person you want to be. And use other people's strengths too. <laughs> so the strengths that you don't have, recognize other people's strengths and use those to help you where you're not strong. Right, right. And uh, it's it's so much easier said than done. But I think like once we actually do it, you can definitely see that that difference. And I've noticed that in my own life as well. So a while back, I read an article that kind of mentioned people that are in more competitive or minority communities tend to feel imposter syndrome a lot more. Uh, Why do you think that the reason behind that is? And is it actually true? Well, research would say it's true. (laughs) It definitely is. Uh, It's true in so much as research says it is, but I also see it. I see it in my own life. I see it from... People that get imposter syndrome are not people that sit on the couch all day doing nothing. People that get imposter syndrome are high achievers. So I would say that without exception. Every single person I've ever met with imposter syndrome is a high achiever. Now, why is that? So if you go back to what I was saying earlier about the the focus being on achievement, everything is about achievement. So when you're in a competitive environment, and I'll start with competitive environments, when you're in that kind of environment and all the focus is on achieve, 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 Anything less than achievement means that you're worth less, right? Not worthless, but worth less. So if you achieve, your worth is increased and you feel that. You feel that you're worth more. If you don't achieve or you don't achieve what you expected to achieve, you think you are worth less and you start to believe that. So these are messages that we start telling ourselves. Okay, well, I aimed at 10 million. I only reached 9.8. Therefore, I didn't achieve my goal. Therefore, I am worth less than I believed I was. Mm-hmm. And okay, you're 200,000 off it. But that those messages that we tell ourselves really start to sink in when other people around us are achieving their targets. I'm not as good as them. They're better than me. I don't belong here. Oh God, how did I get here? This was a fluke. I was in the right place at the right time. You know, all these messages just start to creep into our heads and we start telling ourselves stories, none of which are true, but we start believing them. And then when we start believing these things, we behave differently. And then when we behave differently, we communicate differently. And then we actually start to, we hide, we we kind of diminish our presence. And then all of those things damage our confidence, which feeds into the imposter syndrome even more. So you get this vicious cycle. 
So being in a hyper-competitive environment, whether it's school, whether it's work, whether it's sport, all of those things can affect it. In minorities, again, the research would definitely show that there is um, more imposter syndrome in people from minority groups than there are from, from the rest of the population. And this could be women, it can be people of color, it can be disabled people, um, people of di different uh, cultural groups. And it, it's, again, it's what you believe and do you believe you have a right to be where you are? Mm -hmm. And of course, a lot of the messages that we hear growing up or what we're told and, you know, I'm a, I'm a white woman, so I consider myself privileged in that way. But I have experienced prejudice, I guess, just because I'm a woman and I was a woman in a senior executive role. So that's just from a female side. Now, if you imagine being a woman of color in an executive role or a woman of color in, in a competitive environment, that is only compounded even more. And, and I do see it. I see it in white women, but I also see it in women of color. And probably more so in women of color because of the societal things that they are told and that they hear growing up that don't expect too much mm -hmm. or there is no place for you there. And don't expect that because that, that's the white world. That's what privileged white people do. And then expectations are limited and diminished. So when women of color do achieve, they feel that they have no right being, being there. And so they start to doubt, how did I, how did I get here? What am I doing here? I have no right being here. I'm the only woman of color in this room. I have no right being here, which is absolutely not true. But these messages that we hear from society, from our parents, all, well, I can't say all well-meaning, some well-meaning, not all well-meaning, we start to believe them. And once we believe them and then we get into a position where we think we don't belong, these messages start to come back to haunt us and then this imposter syndrome just explodes. So it is definitely more noticeable in high achieving people. And, and I would say that um, that's something really important. Imposter syndrome is only ever seen in high achieving people. People You don't see it from people that sit on the couch all day. So I guess that's uh, somewhat good news. It is good news. You want to see many ways. the bright side. If you have imposter syndrome, that means like you're someone, a high achiever, which is the reason uh, you're feeling that way. Absolutely. And uh, also going on to your point about people in minority environments, like for a woman example, we often hear that they have to achieve twice as more just to feel like they belong there, which I think is so sad. And um, But it's definitely, I think, changing that mindset of, of yourself and of the um, society, I guess. That's yeah. very true. Men have imposter syndrome as well. It's not just the domain of women, but it's definitely more recognized in women, probably because it was originally, the phrase was originally coined by two female researchers who were looking at women in executive roles. That's probably why it's more recognized, but men have it too. But I think men are becoming more aware of the fact that it is real and it is mm -hmm. something that women do have to face, yeah. which isn't a bad thing. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely good. They can be part of that change too. And many of them are. So how do you think, uh, can we overcome imposter syndrome? Like we talked about how it feels. We talked mm -hmm. about. Um, how we chose and like the different groups, but how do you think we can overcome it? So the first thing to do is staying true to who you are and stop trying to fix yourself. <laughs> we're all, we're all fine. We're all okay. We all have our strengths. So stop trying to fix yourself and really look for your strengths. And I know it sounds very easy and very kumbaya and, but everybody has strengths. And remember what I said about, um, imposter syndrome being prevalent in high achievers. The fact that you're a high achiever means you have a lot of strengths. So what are they? 
So go looking for your strengths, go digging for your strengths rather than digging for your weaknesses. And what I would say, if you draw a very long line, write your strength at one end. Whatever weakness you perceive you have, I guarantee is at the other end of that line. Your weaknesses and your strengths don't exist independently. They're on the same line. They're just at opposite ends of that line. So a weakness is generally a strength that you're either doing too much or you're not doing enough. Mm -hmm. So just pull yourself back along the line and go back to where your strength is and you'll see it's there. It is absolutely there. And if all you can see is weaknesses, start with the weakness and just pull yourself back to the strength. You know, what's the opposite of this? Oh, yeah, I am really good at that. For example, if somebody's very extremely impatient, if you look at the other end of that line, their strength is that they like to get things done on time. I never thought about it that way. Yeah. Without exception, without exception, your your weaknesses are the other end of the line of your strength. So just travel back along the line and find the strength that's there. I guarantee it's there. Now I'm thinking of all of the things that um, that I consider my weaknesses and I'm trying to see what's on the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> Just write them all down, draw a long line, and then on the left-hand side, just write the corresponding strength, yeah. and I guarantee it's it's a strength that you will have. And there are other things as well to um, to counter imposter syndrome, and one of the biggest things, and it's hard, is to take really, really bold action. And I mean, be really brave, do something really bold, because imposter syndrome comes from believing you have no right being where you are, which is a lack of confidence, right, and self-belief. Confidence needs evidence, as does self-belief. So the way to get evidence is to take action. And when you have imposter syndrome, the last thing you want to do is take action. The first thing you should be doing is taking action. So one of the ways to get rid of it is just do something crazy bold. Just go do it. Now, will it work? Maybe. Will it fail? Maybe. Who cares? You will have learned something from taking that action. What it will have done is reinforce your confidence to say, my God, you know, I can do this because I just did it. And what did I learn from that? And then take another bold action and another bold action. And in the end, people start looking at your bold action and thinking they should take bold action too. And then you become a role model. And all of this will help feed your confidence and it starts to get rid of the imposter syndrome. But it gets worse if you don't do anything, if you just sit with it and, and you don't do anything. And, and if you do make mistakes, don't dwell on them. Just accept that you're going to make mistakes and don't care. Stop caring so much. You know, you'll make mistakes. People that take bold action make mistakes. Get used to it. What did you learn? On to the next thing. And if anybody does ever want help with imposter syndrome, what I would say is never seek help inside your organization. Always get help mm -hmm. outside your organization. Because inside the organization, depending on who you go to, but inside your organization, If you're in a position where you have, a, uh, have imposter syndrome, you're a high achiever, which probably means you're in a highly competitive environment or you're in an environment where everybody's trying to scramble to the top. Sad but true, some people take advantage of the fact that you are feeling like that. Mm -hmm. So you might not want to reveal that. And I hate saying this as an executive coach. I hate having to say this, but it is true that some people will take advantage of the fact that you are being vulnerable. So I would say go outside of your organization to get help. The other reason is inside the organization, people may say to you, if they're not being mean about it, they may say, oh, don't be silly, you're doing great, you're doing a great job. But that's not how you feel. And that's not actually helpful. They're trying to help, but it's not helpful. It's invalidating your feelings as well by saying that. Absolutely. It's telling you you're wrong, which just feeds your imposter syndrome. <laughs> so if you go outside the organization and work with somebody who's an experienced coach, they will actually help you to uncover 
what beliefs you have in your head that are causing you to feel like that, and they will help you change them. Mm-hmm. And then you can put them into practice safely in your highly competitive environment. You mentioned that, um, like, if you seek help sometimes inside the organizations, obviously not all the time, but some people can take advantage of you. I'm just curious, how would that look like? Or how can they take advantage of you in that situation or position? So, for example, let's say that um, you are looking to seek a promotion and somebody else is also seeking promotion. Keep in mind that the higher up the ladder you go, the fewer positions are available. So if you're in a team of directors, let's say there are 15 directors, there are probably only four VP positions. So now you've got 15 directors fighting for four VP positions. Nobody should be fighting for anything. This is just what happens. This is real life. So if you go to one of your director colleagues that you trust and consider a friend and say you're suffering from this problem, you're experiencing this problem, you don't feel confident, they may take that as as a sign or a signal that boosts their own confidence because they don't feel like that. Okay. They may use that to as an opportunity to make you feel worse. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying everybody will do that, but I exactly. guarantee some people will do that. And yeah. you don't know who will and who won't. So exactly. it's definitely a caution. And having worked in big corporates, I can safely say this happens. It's very sad, but it is true. It does happen. So if you do want to seek um, help and support, I would definitely recommend going outside the organization to do that. Yeah, definitely something to keep in mind, especially for us, like we're going into like our first, you know, full time jobs. I mean, for me, like I literally just graduated April. Uh, so I'm like, trying to read more and know more. So this is things to keep in mind that I never really thought about or never really like crossed my mind. What I yeah. would say, um, I would add is be very cautious that you don't go into your first job thinking, oh my God, I can't trust anybody. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. That's not the case either. Yeah. Um, this tends to happen certainly at more senior levels. But um, as you go into your, your new role, one of the things I find that can be extremely powerful at any level of an organization is rather than going in with the mindset of I'm going to do everything to forward my career and further my career and benefit myself, going with the mindset that I am going to serve, I am going to help, I am going to enable, I'm going to empower, I'm going to inspire, I'm going to motivate. If you go in with that mindset, your mindset is very much about helping people, not fighting for your own supremacy. It's about helping other people. If you go in with that mindset, even the meanest person in the world has a really hard time to be mean to somebody who has that kind of approach. And I guarantee that if you go into any kind of environment with how can I help? Who can I serve? How can I help to support these people? How can I lift these people up? By lifting up others, you lift up yourself. It's the best deterrent against imposter syndrome I know. I love how everything is uh, focused on the mindset and your perception. Um, it's, it's very interesting. 100% true. <laughs> yeah, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. That was uh, Henry Ford that said that. And I would agree with that. It's very much what goes on between your ears that will determine how successful or not you are. Mm-hmm. The great thing is mindset can be changed. And also like going on that point of successful people, I know we've touching on like imposter syndrome for individuals. But looking on the other end of that, what are some of these common traits that successful people have or what you've noticed in those that consider themselves successful? That's a great question. So um, the first thing is they believe they can and they will and they do. So even when they doubt themselves, they do things anyway. 
So they just believe that it doesn't matter what happens, they can achieve, they can succeed, they will do it. And they just, they take the bold action. These are the people that take really, really bold action. They have this mindset, as I just said, about serving others, helping others, doing things for others. So their outcome, their, um, the outcome that they want is that they want to see somebody grow. They want to see someone develop. They want to see someone uh, benefit from what it is that they do and they offer. They are not thinking, if I help this person, I make $10,000. That's not where their head is at. The, the money is the outcome of doing something amazing. So they're focused on the doing something amazing, not on the material gain. Because if you focus on the material gain, what you actually, you're in it for yourself. You're not in it for the other person. Mm-hmm. So stay focused on, on what you can do for the other person. They always deliver. They say what they're going to do and they do it every single time. So they definitely deliver. They keep their promises, in other words. Um, and one of the, there's a couple of other things. They, they really focus on being the best rather than the first. So they don't always have to be the first to the, the first to launch or the first with their hand up or the first to speak. But when they do speak, what they have to say is really profound. Mm-hmm. Or when they do launch, their launch is amazing and they're coming out with something that the market really needs. So they focus on really good quality and being the best rather than I have to get out there first, which is a real misconception, you know, to, to get ahead in any kind of market, you need to be first. Well, and that's absolutely not true. You need to disrupt the market that's already there. And how do you do that? By focusing on the person that you're serving or the people that you're serving. The last thing I would say that I really notice about really successful people is it is their mindset. It really is their mindset. They don't let mistakes knock them down or knock them back. I mean, does it bother them? Of course it does. You learn from it. You take the mistake. You say, okay, what did I do that caused that? Okay, now I understand how I caused that. What can I do differently to avoid this in the future? And then they repeat the action without the mistake. And then they learn more and then they get more successful. And so they, there's a lot of self-reflection. They tend to be very self-aware. They're very aware of what's going on inside their heads, but they have this determination that's often helped by they keep fit. They eat well. They get lots of sleep. You know, the basic things that make you feel good. And they use that and they translate that into their professional lives or into a highly competitive situation. So yeah, I would say definitely focus on others believe in yourself and really just trust that you'll figure it out because you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like I need to write this down. So many good points that I haven't like heard anywhere else, like where you commonly read online. So I need to write this down and incorporate this in my life. And I was typing a little notes on the side and I was just thinking, this is amazing to keep in mind because a lot of the time I feel that we hear things, we know things, but we forget about them. We don't incorporate them or we just get busy or caught up with life that we don't value them as much and we don't keep them like close to us as a reminder. It's very true. I mean, what you're saying is really true. And if you think about what we were talking about earlier, about being in a really competitive environment, it's very easy. You go into a competitive environment to be competitive right? because that's the environment you're in. An environment does tend to determine functions. So you're in an environment Everybody around you is competing, you know, me, 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 me. So you're like, oh, and me. And that's, you know, surefire way to drive imposter syndrome. But it, but we forget, hang on a minute. These people are all trying to be the best and they're all trying to be first and the loudest. So I'm just going to serve. I'm going to, I'm going to focus on my cause. I'm going to focus on my customer. I'm going to focus on my team and I'm going to make them the best. I'm going to make their experience the best they've ever had. 
I'm going to make sure this product is the best anybody's ever experienced. Focus on that. Let everybody over there fight. You focus on being the best. They just want to be first. Yeah. Um, I was just curious, is there anything that you learned throughout your career and meeting different people, different clients that surprised you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, many things. Um, one thing that really surprised me, and I haven't realized it until probably fairly recently, it's in the last five years or so, is that the higher up the ladder you go, the more important your people skills become. Now, I think fundamentally everybody kind of knows that, but we we do and we don't. So as you get higher up the ladder, you know, expectations get greater. And we forget that the thing that really keeps us in these senior positions or helps us to be successful isn't how good we are. It's how good we are at influencing others and getting the best out of other people. And when I look back on my career, which I did when I started all this executive coaching, I started to look back on my career and during my coach training. And I thought, oh my God, you know what? That's that's actually what I was really good at in my career. It was, I mean, could I sell? Absolutely. Was I a good marketer? Absolutely. Was I a, a good leader? Yes, I was. I was a really good leader. I was a, I was a, an okay marketer. I was, actually, I was a really good salesperson, but sales is leading, isn't it? So it's influencing people. So my skills and the people that I work with where I really see the problems arise, it's from people's inability to connect with others and to influence others. And the higher up the ladder we go, the more important that becomes. Mm -hmm. Because when you get to CEO, your skills do not matter. Nobody cares if you can build a car when you're the CEO <laughs> of Chrysler. Yeah. Nobody, nobody wants you to do that. What they care about is how good are you at influencing all these people to reach a common goal. And that's about people, connecting with people. So it did surprise me. It's, it's not so much the fact surprised me, but the magnitude and the importance of it really surprised me. Exactly. At the end of the day, it's all about the soft skills that we gain through our career and uh, how well we connect with people. And uh, before we move to the Rapid 321, I would love to hear about the Puissance program that you launched this year. I've heard a lot about it from friends and we shared it with our women members as well. So the Puissance project is um, it's a program I started for young women leaders in their first two years out of school. So their first two years of work. I love the program. I'm very proud of it. So it's very focused on helping women not to experience imposter syndrome later and to succeed. So it's a 12-month executive leadership coaching program where I take a maximum of five young women, often straight out of school, some are already at work, but they have to be within their first two years of work. And I take them through 12 months of leadership, one-on-one -on -one leadership coaching. So we have one-on-one -on -one sessions every week. We have group sessions with uh, guest speakers. And um, basically, it's to develop those those leadership skills, that confidence and that executive presence that we actually don't usually get taught. We have to figure it out along the way. And the things that I was never taught that I had to figure out during my executive career are the things that I am helping these young women to learn in their first two years of work. Because if they can get that squared away, honestly, the rest of it is easy. So it's really about leadership, um, personal development, mindset, uh, developing into, into a leadership in any kind of environment later in life. Perfect. And just in case our listeners are curious to know, when does the program start or when can they uh, look into applying? So applications will open up in November this year. We currently have our first cohort. So 
I just launched it this year and I have a, a cohort of three incredible young women who are just making amazing progress. Definitely. Thank you so much for sharing. And now we're going to move to the rapid three, two, one. Uh, so we'll have three questions. The first question will have a three word answer. The second question will have a two word answer. And the last question will have a one word answer. Okay. So let's start with the first one. What are the three values that got you where you are today? If you have to pick three, what would they be? Respect. Okay. Absolute honesty. Perfect. Sometimes to a fault. <laughs> and um, service. Great. So for the second question, what are the two things that make you feel motivated or inspired? One is my clients. So my clients' achievements and uh, what they achieve really inspires me, motivates me because my one of my values is service. The second thing that inspires and motivates me is possibility I because that. I truly believe that there is nothing I can't do. There are things I haven't done yet, but there is nothing I can't do. Mm -hmm. I just haven't done it yet. So possibility, it's kind of excites me. I'm like, what can I do next? Oh yeah, let's try this. So, so yeah, I would say those two things, my clients and possibility. That's an amazing way to look at it. And for the last question, what is the one skill that you think is important in all aspects of life? If you have to pick one skill, what would it be? Connection to people. So our ability to relate to, to connect with people. Is it a skill? Yeah, it is a skill, but it's also a basic human need. So. It requires us to be very authentic and very real and, and actually very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. In order to connect with people, we have to kind of show our bellies. Yeah. So if you can be confident and courageous enough to do that and you can connect to people, the world is absolutely your oyster. Thank you so much yeah. for joining us. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Yeah.